welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Um, so a couple, a couple of episodes ago, we had Ashley Hacker on, and we talked a lot about uh, Anime North, specifically a panel that she helped facilitate um, regarding fandom through the decades, going back from, you know, 2010s to the, the aughts to the 90s, uh, to the 80s as well, uh, with, a, with a nice, well-rounded uh, group of contributors. Um, and of course, we've had uh, Dave Merrill was one of the contributors as well, who has been on multiple uh, uh, episodes of this podcast. But uh, I'm actually, we're kind of going back to that again. This is kind of a continuation of that particular podcast, because the third member of that panel is now joining us. And uh, he's someone I've certainly been, been wanting to talk to for quite a while. Uh, his name is Greg. Greg, could you just uh, give a quick introduction to yourself? Hello there. I'm Gregory Taylor. I was at one point Sailor Mercury's ultimate fan. Uh, there's clips of me on the internet. And I was talking about the 90s at that Anime North panel. Yes, the, the beloved 90s segment. <laughs> yes. So Greg, um, I think what people would most likely know him for was uh, an, he was involved in an interview in a segment uh, in 1997 on CBC's Undercurrents uh, news magazine program. That was a, a program that aired on CBC News World, hosted by Wendy Mesley. Um, it focused on media marketing and technology. And in 1997, they did a very interesting segment about otaku, uh, and that they approached it from some some interesting angles, I would say. Uh, and Greg <laughs> was one of the one one of a handful of people who was interviewed. They also interviewed William Gibson, Hitoshi Doi, who he ran the Seiyu database, which I'm not sure if that website is still running or not right now. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and and I, I know he was a guest of honor at Anime North. Um, in, uh, in in the early days, yeah. Early days as well. And oh, that's another thing. You uh, you have you are very frequently cited as being one of the most one of the few people who have actually been to almost every anime north yep i uh, had the 20 year run and then it was uh last year 2018 i did not go i now have a daughter there is a connection yes and uh congratulations <laughs> on that greg so um, you, thanks so this cbc undercurrent segment if you have not seen it uh i strongly recommend that you just pause this episode right now when you have the next chance to go on youtube search CBC Undercurrents Otaku or uh, or or something like that. It'll it'll probably be the first search result and watch that whole segment. It is um, kind of incredible, especially for something that aired on a national news program in 1997. When you watch the segment, it's it's it has such a 90s take on otaku, but at the same time, not like not one that I had uh, that you would expect to see around that time. And at the same time, it kind of misses the mark in in some interesting ways <laughs> as well. Um, mm. But uh, but Greg in particular, they they interviewed him as Sailor Mercury's ultimate fan. The otaku translation, shut in, fanatic, geek, people so utterly obsessed with information that they become withdrawn from society. It seems that information technologies have bred the ultimate fan. And now they're starting to emerge here. Hi, Greg. Hi, bud. Come on in. Great, thanks a lot. So you're the ultimate fan. I don't know if I really want to flatter myself that way, but uh, I, am, I am definitely obsessed with, uh, with uh, Ami Mizuno, Sailor Mercury. <laughs> you guessed it. Greg Taylor is also a big fan of anime. More specifically, this 20-year-old university student's love is... She's the lead character's sidekick in the popular children's cartoon called Sailor Moon. She's the one 
He's created an online shrine for the inked superhero, and he's constantly searching for new information to add to it. She wears glasses. In the, in the fourth season, she gets she gets glasses. And uh, also in the fourth season, when she powers up into uh, Super Sailor Mercury, she gets three earrings instead of just the one. Um, even if you don't watch the full eight-minute version of uh, of the CBC Undercurrents interview, there is a, a, a shorter version that's been edited down, uh, specifically to the segments of Greg, where he talks about his uh, his fixation on Sailor Mercury. It is a very f- uh, that segment alone. It's it's just a very fun and charming uh, little interview. Um, uh, Greg, can, can you maybe paint a little bit of a picture of uh, of what was going on in the interview? Um. Well, I mean, the, the the whole idea, I guess, they were using was, you know, that otaku were sort of obsessed with, you know, information and data and possibly becoming shut-ins. And so that was, I guess, what they were, were going for. The fact that I had a, a, you know, a Mercury website. I was on, you know, a web ring at the time that used to be a thing. Um, and uh, I was part of the, uh, the alt. Sailor Moon of the National Capital Region, um, where I was, you know, her representative on the, you know, the posting board. And so a lot of this was, you know, geared to this idea of, you know, otaku online, I guess. I don't know. So first of all, I think this this segment had to be the first, like, I mean, before this, you'd see, like, hosts on YTV or, like, shows like the Antigravity Room talking about anime as a just as a as a specific focus for their own program or uh, as a way of expanding on programming that they were already airing. I think this news segment had to be the first like nationally broadcasted major news outlet in Canada that was kind of focusing on anime as a as a cultural phenomenon. Um although they didn't really approach I I wouldn't say they approached it from a cultural standpoint. Uh it was kind of they they're very fixated on information. In the way that yeah, well, I mean, I, I think out. that's mainly what Undercurrents was yeah. was going for, like, and so this just happened to be, oh, let's talk about anime for this segment or whatever. Yeah, they, it, it fit it fit the mo of that program, looking at how again how media and and media to and technology shape shape society and uh, and and those broader ideas, and it, it's almost kind of a postmodernist perspective uh, of otaku as people who collect data and 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 then. Um, repeat data online and have the data delivered back to them. Uh, there's actually been some some postmodernist writing done about otaku that, that interpret it that way. Like um, I think Hiroki Azuma wrote a book about that. In it was a little later in 2001, but that kind of that kind of interpretation was floating around. Uh, they 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 also interview like uh, William William Gibson and Hitoshi Doi and a few others, and they they reference things like um, Satomo Miyazaki, the the otaku killer, uh, who was um, who that's a story that had broken just a few years ago before that. And it all melds together in this really, it paints this very interesting picture. I think at that time, that's not how any kind of news organization would have, or how any news program or would really approach the subject of anime or anime fandom. Uh, But it seems that just because undercurrents had that specific focus on the way that they did their show the way they the way they approach it the way they edited everything together you, you can tell when you're watching it they've you know they've had long interviews with people and whenever they're talking about information or dropping the word information those are the those are the parts of the the uh, the interviews that they that they drop in but yeah it just it just paints this very 90s kind of almost cyberpunk interpretation yeah of, well um, i guess yeah. with william gibson that's supposed to be expected they gotta yeah <laughs> um 
Yeah, and it, it again, you have this again. It, it's kind of it seems like it's swirling around the actual phenomenon of otaku, and I, I do find it also interesting that they don't they make no distinction between anime fandom in Canada or the United States and the way it is in Japan. It seems like. Um, I, I don't want to say that it avoids, like, Orientalism entirely, because it kind of uh, mm. dives into that. But it's not treating it as... Uh, as it's treating, like, the whole... The, as, as an entire phenomenon that people on this side are are embracing the same way that it is in, in Japan. Which is... I, I think that is, that is unique. That's different from what you'd find about the usual kind of uh, anime fandom journalism from that time. Right, and I mean, Undercurrents could have been doing that most of the, you know, for for most of their run. I I honestly never really watched the show. I was approached by them through another individual I knew who had given them my name. Um, so how, I wasn't, you know, a longtime watcher of the show. How did all that play out, really? <laughs> it's twenty years, um, twenty-two years ago, I know, but for the for the best of your recollection. Yeah, well, it, I, it was through that that National Capital uh, Freenet um, uh, posting board where uh, in 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 1996 I was I was posting to the Sailor Moon fan group because I just sort of discovered anime through that, and uh, there was another person uh, on the group who knew I guess someone at the CBC or knew they were looking for someone and said you know I might be a good candidate could you know float my name up there I'm like sure whatever. Um, and then it just sort of started from there. You know, they phoned me and they wanted to talk to me and then it, it proceeded to an interview. And then they actually flew me from Ottawa to Southern Ontario, which was where I lived before because I was on a work term. I was basically going to the University of Waterloo and then I was on work term in Ottawa and they flew me back from Ottawa back to Waterloo so that they could get me at an anime showing and oh. and my house. So, Yeah. But everything was, but you, everything was still preserved uh, well enough. Or did, did you have to, re, or did you have to recreate uh, that image to uh, to, to oh, no, they, they did, appearances they... as well as possible? <laughs> well, no, they they filmed me in Ottawa as well, right? Oh, like yeah, all yeah. the long shots were all the long shots where you see, you know, the the posters and everything. That's in Ottawa. Oh, all okay. of the close up okay. stuff uh, near the beginning of the segment was filmed at home in Southern Ontario. Cause I only discovered anime when I first went to university. So the stuff filmed in my house is like nothing. Yeah. Uh, there's the computer, which I mean, admittedly that was what their focus was going to be anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, yeah nothing, I don't no, know. Nothing beats those, uh, the way an old CRT CRT monitor looks when it's filmed on uh, it, there it, you that, go. That's the aesthetic of undercurrents right there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't, you know, just film more of it in, in Ottawa, but this is just the way it kind of worked out, and I was like, sure. <laughs> yeah, and you and you found, so you, to be clear, when you, when you kind of discovered Sailor Moon or anime in general, that was through uh, um, discussion groups online and not through television. Yeah. Uh, Bit of both. Bit of both? It was yeah. actually because I, I went to university in 1995, mm -hmm. and so I'd heard from a friend about you know this a animation out of Japan, and oh, there's this show that's got like planets uh, as people, and you know it's actually airing in North America. I'm like, okay, that's weird, but I thought, well, I I was just going to Ottawa, and I don't really know anyone there, and I thought, well, 
I'll, I'll, I'll check this out and, you know, maybe this is a, a way of, you know, hooking into a new community or whatever. I saw a couple episodes online. The very second episode I saw was the one with Greg in it with yeah. Sailor Mercury. And so that sort of hooked me into the online group and then things perpetuated from there. Yeah. So if I had me eating the hamburger, right? Or that photo of um, Amy eating the hamburger, or was this a different episode? I believe that's the sec. I believe that's the second episode with him. This is the okay. first one where he yeah. into the Yuma. Yeah. Uh, wow, I still know some of this stuff. I, think. <laughs> uh, I, I I had a feeling this might jog your memory. I was just trying to think. If, or it was at the end of one of those episodes. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. the second one. But uh, yeah, I've, oh, I've lost my train of thought there. Um, oh yes, it was. Uh, it was sort of if I hadn't watched it. If I hadn't watched the show, I probably wouldn't have felt like posting on the news group, but it was through, through the, uh, the online forum that, you know, I sort of hooked in with the anime community. And that led you to become involved with the, uh, the club at the university? Um, yes. Uh, well, cause again, I was on work term in Ottawa, yeah. but they have universities there. And so I went to showings there. They weren't actually affiliated with the university at the time. That's one of the things I mentioned in, in my nineties presentation at Anime North. A lot of times they would just have showings. And of course, university has big, you know, rooms that are available to, you know, show this sort of thing. So they would just be at that sort of venue. Um, University of Waterloo, the, uh, the control a club that really likes anime. It's an acronym. Uh, they're, they're sort of unique in actually, you know, being affiliated with the university and showing things. A lot of that stuff didn't start to happen until the real late nineties or even early two thousands. Do you know if, um, if that, if that particular club is still active in any form? um, which the the one at Waterloo it is yeah the uh, the the Ottawa what what I went to at the time I think it was called Club anyway it's it's not anyway it's it's there there's now a University of Ottawa club there's a, uh, a, a one out of Carleton as well but they came after the fact sort of to replace I think you know these I don't know rogue showings or whatever yeah. uh, okay, just yeah. you know make it, you know make it legal i don't know <laughs> yeah um, I, I mean i mean it's it, university clubs it's always <laughs> it could be kind of questionable you can you can get a, you you can skirt a lot of uh expectations when you're doing things during university club uh that is why i think they are central to so much of uh of anime fandom in different parts of the country uh especially here in vancouver <laughs> yeah and I, and I know that these screenings at university of waterloo they were even i think there was even a you can even find a segment on on youtube where they were talking about where they had some of the voice actresses from sailor moon talking about them on um on on uh on ytv during like a zone interview segment and it was also brought up by roland parliament in his book on the on the the history of the production of the original 65 episodes of sailor moon and that's actually the clip from the from the cbc uh the CBC Undercurrents yeah. was at University of Waterloo. That's the showing where you saw me. I mean, I mean, obviously, I was not there at the time because, or ever, <laughs> because I, I live in Vancouver <laughs> from from the West End. Semi outsider perspective, and I know that you you were with Anime North from the beginning. Do you like what was the what kind of led you to that, or were they involved with with starting Anime North, or do you do you recall how much of that happened? They weren't. I don't know really much about the origins. I I know the first anime in Earth uh, was uh, August ninth, nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. uh, because I was in Ottawa on a work term at that point. But there were a bunch of us interested, and this was like one of the first anime cons that was you know 
in Canada. So we'd all sort of arranged to, and I forget if we, if we carpooled or if we rented a, a van or something, but we all came down for that weekend in August to just, you know, attend the convention. Um, and then after that, it shifted to July and I was more in the area because that was my last work term in Ottawa. And then I started getting work terms in, in Toronto and Waterloo. And so I was, you know, in the area and could just go there. I know you, you've, you've been to many anime Norths, almost all of them, <laughs> as we've mentioned. Uh, yes. How, how do you feel about how the con has, uh, kind of evolved over time? Or have you been to other anime cons as well to compare it to? Um, well, I've been, <laughs> I've been to the one in, in Ottawa because there used to be right. the Ottawa, um, uh, AC cubed anime convention in Canada's capital. Uh, and I actually helped out a bit behind the scenes with some of that stuff because in, in 2003, I moved back to Ottawa. That's, you know, when I started my teaching, uh, career and everything. So I, I did a help about with that behind the scenes. I was also attending. So eh, I don't know, but those are really the only two. Like I've never gone outside Canada to a convention or anything like that. Partly it's, it's costs and partly it's, I don't really have the desire to sort of immerse myself in tons of anime. It's just, I'll get these little wedges and that's good enough for me. Yeah. At least these days. Even people who are more immersed in anime or cons, it's pretty rare to find someone who hops between different anime conventions within Canada just because airfare costs are so outrageous here. Um, And that includes myself. I like, as I've mentioned before and in this episode, I've, that was like this year was my first anime north ever it was very interesting experience and i did enjoy it uh quite a bit but yeah people uh, yeah well, it's it started a lot smaller <laughs> oh yeah yeah it is it is unfathomable well not unfathomably huge but i when i was actually when i was at anime north it didn't seem huge but that's because i was only experiencing a very small part of the the convention i was like pr- right. almost everything i did was delta Ho- in the delta hotel with the panels going on there, and I would like occasionally pop right. over to to one of the other buildings for a couple of things. But there's like two entire other um, sections of the the con I didn't, I never even saw because they're just mm. they're kind of off in their own universe. Um, oh yeah, and Anime North is very much a a con where I think everyone kind of has a different experience when when they go to it. Which um, yeah, it makes it makes me want to go back and uh, and get more of that uh, that experience. It's very unique for an anime convention from what from what I've seen. Uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's got a, all sorts piece. of little bits. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, and just the way that it's sprawled out in that area, um, and the way, uh, the businesses benefit from the event at that one time of year, it's all, everything is just aligned to keep it, keep it running, even though sometimes, it, sometimes it feels like it's just shambled together, even today. Um, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, yeah. well, it, it 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 nearly uh, collapsed in I think it was 2004 because it used to be at the Regal Constellation Hotel and yeah. then that building was like condemned and they had to move it and that's when they moved to the convention center and everything and it's just gotten larger from there. Yeah, but it just and I've mentioned this in the episode Ashley was on. It just feels like if they had to change where if they had to move the venue, change where this con was, or if there was like some massive change in um like the the upper executives in 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 the con or a whole bunch of, a huge changeover in the people running the convention it feels like it could all very well fall apart because it's just right. they, they have this perfect formula that just kind of keeps going and going and going but you, if you change a few ingredients a little too much it could it could uh uh it could it, things might not go so well 
Um, well, and part of the reason the 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 convention in um, Ottawa, the the AC Cube, part of the reason that folded was because there just wasn't really a venue there large enough that was also affordable enough mm-hmm. to hold it anymore. Yeah, we're uh, this is this is an interesting problem we're facing in uh, in Vancouver right now because there's there's been a lot of issues with uh, with Anime Revolution, our local our local uh, con that popped up to replace the con before it, um, Anime Evolution, which uh, uh, fell apart for various reasons. Um, mm. anime, anime Revolution that was a for profit convention. Um, there's some there's some issues with the way that it's being run, and then there's a lot of uh, I'll, uh, there's been a lot of backlash from the people who were involved in other conventions that uh, that didn't work out um, in this environment too. So there's a, a a very hostile environment going on here. What's great is that as the one good thing about the con, like definitively great, is that they're able to get the big downtown Vancouver Convention Center every year, uh, and that's really that's really what you're paying for with that con, and that's <laughs> that's that's the that's the big upside to it. Seems um, a critical piece, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's just like, I don't know where else you could even try to run uh, a con in in this area, even if you go far out into the suburbs somewhere. And uh, yeah, that's why that's why it's so great that Anime North has been able to just, you know, keep, keep chugging along the way it has. Um, and I hope it can continue to be sustainable. So going back to uh, just sort of how you grew into fandom online. So I, I know you were you were involved with multiple... Now, now, was it like Usenet groups or different types of chat groups or what? 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 What did the Sailor Moon? Fa- Could you paint like just paint a picture of what the Sailor Moon general kind of chat fandom looked like online at that time? There, I know there was a lot going on with that. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, this was back in the day of news groups and everything, you know, alt.fan.sailormoon kind of thing. So I, I kind of perused those. It was more the local boards though of the the Freenet in Ottawa that mm-hmm. you know had basically local people um and those were the ones I, I i you know perused more which was like you know ncf.fan.sailormoon or i forget what they were called okay. now but you basically logged into their system yeah and were and were there other local groups in other areas do you know or were was everyone pretty isolated in those um um i i would imagine you know there were uh, but i was never you know i i, I never Went out and did tons of that. Uh, I, I would imagine just that you know I, did, I, didn't, I didn't want to overwhelm myself. I guess I don't know. Uh, no, and then the, there were the there were the role play groups as well, which was separate from that. You'd have to sort of uh, click into those through muds or or moos or whatever. Um, and I found out about those through the news groups. And uh, yeah, and you did a lot of stuff involving role play, from what I understand as well. Yeah, there was the Sailor Moon role play because there was the Bushuju Senshi Sailor Mux. Uh, Mux oh. is uh, uh, Mux was what mud user oriented? No, I forget. Anyway, yeah, I, can't, I can't remember what, um, the, yeah, what, the, what that abbreviation stood for. But. Yeah, I can't either. Oh well, but uh, yeah, where you you know you you take on the persona online, and of course. You know, with one for Sailor Moon, you know, you'd have someone role-playing the different Senshi and the different minor characters, and then you'd have new characters. We had a Tuxedo Mirage and all of this sort of thing. Um, and uh, when I first joined, uh, I joined to role-play Urawa, who was the, the Greg character. Right. Um, and uh, so that went on for, for a little while, but I never ended up 
hooking up with the Sailor Mercury character of uh, that time because she was taking an interest in Sailor Jupiter. Ah. So Arama basically became a private eye, um, or no, he was helping a private eye. When we sort of shifted to season two, he became a private eye. Um, And then there were some other splinter uh, ones as well, taking place in the Silver Millennium, as well as taking place uh, back in, in the Moon Kingdom. And, uh, I don't know, long story short, I ended up taking over for the Mercury character back in the Sailor Moon Kingdom. And so I, I ended up shifting and actually playing Sailor Mercury herself online. And I had a couple other characters, incidental ones too. Uh, and then I went away from it for a while and I came back later and there was already another Mercury there. So I ended up actually applying for Sailor Jupiter. Funny enough, mm-hmm. I got the part, and I kind of ended up flirting again with Sailor Mercury. So there's this weird okay. snake-eating-tail thing of, you know, when I started, I was, you know, the Greg character, but Mercury was interested in Jupiter. And then I ended up as Jupiter interested in Mercury, and it was very weird, but kind of surreal and amusing in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, online roleplay is nothing something I never got into. Um, things like the Mux roleplay, I think, by the time I was online in, like, the early 2000s, I think... I was like, it was just like the tail end of that kind of stuff was like, what, 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 what was the time frame of of all this with the, with the role play that was strictly late nineties or did it go on for a few years after that as well? It was, it was even, well, I even started in the mid nineties actually, oh, cause I didn't actually, okay. I didn't actually start through Sailor Moon. I started okay. with just sort of, uh, a group, you know, what, what, you know, the, the, the equivalent to discord back then, I don't know exactly what it was, was running on, but you know, we used to role play in the traveler domain or whatever that was back in the mid nineties. And then there was the sailor moon thing and that was late nineties, but yeah, no, that lasted right through for a while. Um, let me just quickly check an old file here Yeah. on my computer. Um, uh, I have a file from. You have a lot of this archive still. I, I, I used to archive some of my better role play sessions. You know, you just save, save the file yeah. and then put it in. And I have one here from 2009. And that That's, was when I was. Jupiter. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this went pretty, this, this actually did well, go well into the 2000s. Yeah. Yes. I, um, yeah. I mean, again, it was not as, as big of a thing. Um, you know, like back in the day in like 2000, we had like drinking games for the thing. You know, hey, drink whenever so and so walks into the scene. Drink whenever so and so complains about some, whatever. You know, uh, but, uh, you know, and then I sort of walked away from it myself, but I came back and it was still going. That was, you know, 2009, so. Yeah. Most of this was like, you know, before people generally used the World Wide Web or web browsers to access or was this access through web browsers a lot of the time uh no not through browsers uh it was yeah you'd sort of have your your script and then i used to i used to sort of backdoor my way in through uh i don't i forget exactly it was a bunch of menus and then i had to pick one and then you know you'd type telnet and well i know going back to the segment they they emphasize that things like one, one, one thing that they uh they they put a lot of emphasis on was how things like the Ottawa-based Sailor Moon fan club would was supposedly local but rarely met in person. Um, was that was <laughs> did you find that that was the the actual experience for a lot of these things or? 
again, it's hard to give, you know, black and white answers for that yeah. because, you know, at the anime showings, you'd usually meet up with a bunch of them. Yeah, Would it be yeah. everybody, like all the representatives? No, you'd never yeah. really have a meeting of, you know, all the representatives. It, it, it occasionally happened. Uh, you know, someone would, would throw a party and, you know, we'd all kind of get together. Um, but everyone was kind of rare, but I mean, they had these showings, you know, at least monthly, if not more frequently, and you'd see people there. So, eh. You know what? I think that challenges the way it was presented in that, uh, um, well, yeah. that segment a bit. But of course, we, we have to remember that that segment, I think, oh, I guess it was actually, I think that that segment aired the same year as the first Anime North as well. Yes, it would have, actually. I, I 97. A, a, it yeah, was filmed few, in 96. A few months before. It filmed in 96. Yeah. yeah. It was a few months before. Yeah. I remember it being yeah. filmed in 96, but it, it, it didn't air until 97. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I know your, your, your fandom activities have, declined a bit over the years but there there was a lot of overlap when you were getting into teaching as i think you uh you you touched on earlier as well um kind of sort of yeah i mean did you did you find it something that you had to to you, you just lost interest in or had to move on from or has your you know teaching career ever overlapped with your your fandom activities in notable ways or have you kept it pretty i separate? mean you know, the thing with having a career and in particular with it being teaching where you're grading papers all night. Yeah. You don't have a lot of time to sort yeah. of, you know, scour the web and, and, and mam- mammoth, uh, sessions and things. But, uh, I mean, I never, you know, hid that I was interested in anime. And oh, so yeah, yeah. when the anime club of the school needed a new teacher advisor because the teacher was, was changing schools or whatever, they approached me. So I've actually been the teacher advisor of the anime club there for over 10 years now. And it's still, um, running, it's still running. Uh, uh, I, I, I know high, you know, high school anime clubs are are uh, uh, can be very ephemeral, but um, yeah. Oh yeah, I, but I, I would imagine you got you got some good support going on there. It's it's kind of amazing because even last year, a lot of the seniors, or so I guess two years ago, a lot of the seniors graduated, but a bunch of the grade nines were like, "No, we want to keep this thing going." Uh, mostly, what they do now is sort of just watch one episode of an anime every Friday at lunch. Um, it used to be a bit more, you know, look into some of the cultural stuff, you know, possibly share manga. But, it, I mean, it's still going in in the form it is. So there's that. The other overlap was um, through the the characters I draw for my uh, my math lessons. I was going to ask if the students in the um, in your club have have seen the segment where you were interviewed on on undercurrents or if that's I, I imagine over 10 years it would have been an, uh, a known thing with, with at least some people on there. It, it uh, no, I do. I do not believe they know about it. Oh, okay. uh, it's, All right. it's, and I, you know, it's not the sort of thing I will necessarily bring up in conversation. <laughs> usually they bring up the time. Yeah, usually they bring up the time that I was in a music video for one of the alumni of the school, because that was oh. also before I appeared. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What kind of music video was this? Uh, oh, it was Alex Lacasse, who's an alumni of our school, uh, filmed the video for Like This, Like That. And I'm a teacher in one of the segments uh, oh, in okay. the background. And so a lot of the students are like, oh, wow, look, there's Mr. Taylor before the beard. And, you know, I don't sort of say, hey, do you want to see 10 years before that? Because, eh. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know is how this, well that might or might not go over. <laughs> and is this is this out there? Can I find this on YouTube? <laughs> Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Alex Lacasse, he did a few music music videos, I think. And uh, could, could you send yeah. me the link? Uh, sure. I will do that after. Great. Thanks a lot. And sorry, you said something about creating characters for your math lessons? 
Yes. Um, well, and, and a lot of my, my anime, uh, awareness these days either comes through the anime club or through my attendance at Anime North. And there was an Anime North I went to where I saw Hitalia, which was personifications of all of these countries and learning history and geography. And I'm like, Hey, what if we personified math functions to learn more about math? Cause I'm a math teacher. And so I've drawn characters for most of the functions and I, tangentially use some of them in my lessons i had an entire serial that ran for 200 episodes i had a web comic uh that came a couple years after that when i tried to reinvent it i keep trying to get people interested in this um but i'm not very good at publicity but that's why my handle is math tans ah right yeah and <laughs> if you were ever wondering about that is this is this online to view anywhere right now Oh yes, I, I yeah. You, it's, you, it's still you have there. your uh, your web your sort of web port your your sort of personal website that you still maintain. I think it's or I, I think it's been a, a little over a year since you last updated it. Quote unquote maintain. I go back to it yeah. every couple years just yeah, to yeah. see what's, what's there. But um, no, I I actually maintain uh, a couple of blogs. One is from my fiction, which usually relates to time travel, and one is uh, the personified math. Um, math hands and uh i even threw it onto tapastic now tapas uh it's it's out there as as a webcomic and and even the old serial is still online but uh there was just never too much interested in it i was never sure who to market it to yeah. uh you know other teachers were just like okay you kind of do your thing i mean a couple of them were were like oh, that's neat but you know how can i use this in a lesson i'm like well i don't know uh and so, 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 so you're never really able to utilize it for, for teaching? Um, no, like the characters I use because the hairstyles are the graphs. So right. that was the main thrust. But a lot of the plot and, and things, uh, you know, going to Fractal City or, oh, yeah. or, you know, having, you know, other, uh, personifications you know meet usually Versine was the the evil uh quote-unquote evil character because she wanted to bring back all the old trig we don't use Versine anymore um a lot of that stuff just no one was really enthused about it and so i you know again gravitated more to some of my other fiction writing Hmm. I i find it interesting the way your creative and fandom impulse has has uh evolved over the years and well, I mean, obviously, it has intersected with uh, with with your career because of the way that whole project has 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 yeah. been related. Um, I'm just trying to think. I wonder. I wonder how this um, either whether this enforces or challenges the uh, the idea of fandom as a sort of uh, data collection that was presented in that uh, in that segment. I uh, I don't think I can I can think of a conclusion to that right off the bat, but it's something it's something to chew on for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna th- I think I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, back then the internet was smaller, so, you know, there wasn't sort of do a web search and here's 2,000, you know, results. You actually sort of had to look for this stuff, and so when you found it, it was sort of like, ha-ha, here we are. Whereas now, you know, you get all sort of misinformation and other stuff out there, too, and so it's it's a different, you know, garden to be, you know, walking through. A lot more weeds and things, I guess. Yeah, to say the least. Um, and you had to be, you know, careful, if, even if you're going to like a wiki or something, like who's curating this information? Where is it actually right. sourced from? If, if there's a source beside it, like what, ha- what actually happens when you click on that source link? Is it actually going to, uh, is it actually going to verify 
what uh, what yeah. has been stated. You never really know. Has this been updated? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yep. Interesting times for sure. So yeah, I was I was gonna try to dig up some Sailor Mercury trivia and see how uh, <laughs> how, how 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 well your your status of uh Sailor Mercury your status as Sailor Mercury's ultimate fan is held up. But I uh I, right. I didn't really want to bother with that. But uh, no, I, that's I know, fair. Yeah. Do, do, do you feel like you've been dethroned at this point? Oh, I, I would think so. Um, I, I've watched Crystal, but I, you know, not, you know, as in depth as before, you know, and that, that's the funny thing about the Sailor Moon in particular, right? Like it's, it's perpetuated. It's come back and it's still out there and keeping up with it would, uh, just be too much for, you know, me. I'm now in my forties, right? So. I have other priorities, so by all means, someone else can take the crown and, and do what they like with it. But uh, yeah, I'm more into science geek now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Nanoha, I think, uh, was one that you, and, you, you yes. really like as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things I like about Nanoha is, like, while it keeps coming out, it's sort of evolved like they started with her young and then they came out with other series of her older and then they sort of go back and they fill in the gaps i mean they've you know reinvented the first season as a movie and everything but i don't know it's it's sort of got that doctor who vibe to me of you know let's just keep whatever's already there and just sort of add more cool stuff to it rather than sort of go back to the beginning and restart everything did, did you anyway. see the movie a couple years ago uh, when it was in theaters, yes. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the second one has not come out in theaters. That is one thing I'm trying to keep an eye out for. But. Um, I'm kind of. Did it come out in theaters in Japan? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There I, was. Uh, it was one year, and then the following year was the follow-up, which you know tied everything up. And they only came the first one in Canada and the U.S. I'm like, ah. Oh. You know. But I'm, they had I'm, cool trading cards. I'm kind of shocked that they even released that first one. It was uh with trading it, cards, nonetheless. I know. I was a little yeah, surprised yeah. too. I mean, it was a. It, it's it's been a golden time for. Um, well, that was a golden time for theatrical releases in Canada. Uh, you could argue it still is in the U.S. Not so much right now. There's a, a lot of stuff we're not getting, but that's that's a topic for another episode. Um, all right, uh, Greg. If uh, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we wrap up today? Oh, I don't think so at this point. I think we've we've pretty much covered uh, all of the cute, cool stuff, uh, okay. you know, out of, out of uh, my anime past. Yeah. Well, uh, Greg, I know um, you have a few, like we've discussed. You have a few a few things online. Uh, where can people find uh, find you online and and, uh, and what you do and what you've done? Uh, Math Tans, basically. That's M A T H T A N S comes from the old days of OS tans, like way back in the early 2000s when they used yeah, to personify yeah. operating systems. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm math tans on Twitter. I'm, uh, I forget the, the, the trail on, on Instagram. I hardly use it. Uh, mathtans.ca is where the, uh, the little webcomic is that I used to run. Uh, Facebook, I'm maths tans. So with, with an S, uh, like the, the, the British, because someone got to math tans first. I don't know what they're using it for, but, uh, um, but mostly, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm math tans. Trying to brand it. Okay. And I'm trying for, on, you know, years. And you're on, yeah. And you're on, uh, on Twitter at math tans. And, yep. uh, and where, where, where can people find your website too? Um, <laughs> the, 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 the old one, the, the old school one, uh, yeah. it's, 
Uh, I was CZ159 on uh, the, the National Capital Freenet, so I guess it would be like web.ncf.ca slash CZ159, something like that. Yeah, okay. You know uh, what? I'll, I, I'll I, include I, a link to it. I haven't I'll maintained that site it. as much. Yeah, I'll include sure. a link to it, link on, to the, it. Uh, on, on the notes. Why not? Yeah. All right, Sounds well, good. Uh, Thanks. Greg, it was fantastic having you on. This is a lovely con- – <laughs> it, it was a lovely conversation. I'm glad you could take the time. Thank you. This has been cool. Uh, from, I'm, I'm yeah, glad from, that you asked me. Yeah, it's it was fun. Thanks for coming on. Hey everyone, so in my interview with Greg, I touched a little bit on Anime Revolution 2019 uh, here in Vancouver, which was a couple of weeks ago at the time of this recording. As you may know, there's been a lot of controversy with this con due to the reports of their questionable handling of both a serial harasser and convicted sex offender that was recently reported on Anime News Network. Now, since I usually give at least a brief review of this convention, I thought I should talk a little more about it, but I thought it would be a little more appropriate to do that in a separate segment rather than doing that during my interview with Greg. So Anime Revolution is a con that many people in the Vancouver area have been divided on for many years. They are a for-profit convention, and uh, they are also beginning to expand their operations. They ran International Fan Fest in Toronto, and I understand they are also planning an event in Osaka at some point in Japan. When Anime Revolution, or Annie Revo, as they call themselves, started, they started up in the flames of Anime Evolution, which had uh, perished uh, a couple of years prior for various reasons. Make your own assessment as to the decision of calling their convention something very similar to Anime Evolution. I know there are a lot of takes on that, but in any case, in their early years, Anime Revolution showed a lot of open hostility towards other local events, and that has built up a lot of resentment towards them in certain circles. Now, Annie Revo has moved past that tactic, I would say, but that resentment that built up doesn't go away easily. Frankly, it is quite justified, and that is some of what is fueling the, the current controversy. I have a lot of problems with this con myself, but I try to give them a fair shake, because they do a good job of uh, things like bringing in and maintaining relations with Japanese guests, like this year they did with Amikoshi Mizu, Nobuyuki Hiyama, and uh, Yanagi Nagi, among a few others. And they have managed to secure the Vancouver Convention Center, which is frankly an amazing venue for an anime con, even though they don't use nearly enough of it, which is understandable because it's incredibly expensive. My experience as a panelist at Anime Revolution has been very good, at least for the last three to four years. Before that, not so much. And on that note, I did do three panels this year as well. Um, the Bionics 15th Anniversary Special, Anime Grindhouse, and Retro Shoujo Melodrama. They all went very well. I'm, I'm especially looking forward to doing uh, Retro Shoujo Melodrama at some other conventions. I think, uh, I think people are really going to like that one. I'm hoping to work on it a little more. But anyway, those are the general strengths of Anime Revolution. So just just to give a quick review as a con-goer for this year, I, I had a lot of fun, um, and that was the case for most of the people I know who, who attended the convention as well. As usual, the programming overall was pretty mediocre and a little too spread out, but you know we were, we were generally able to find something to do for most of the weekend. The Exhibitor's Hall was a big disappointment. It was smaller than usual, it was filled with bootlegs, and there was actually not a single vendor there selling new DVDs or manga, and even the vendors selling figurines were extremely limited and, and really scattershot. A big part of this is because Animathon in Edmonton was the same weekend. And simply put, Animathon has much better vendor relations than Anime Revolution does. And that isn't just because they are the oldest anime convention in Canada. There are some problems there with it with Anime Revolution. To the point where even local companies like CNL, who specialize in DVD and, and manga and other things, opted for Animathon over Anime Revolution, and I think that's that's not a very good sign for the state of vendor relations at this con. From the perspective of a con goer, 
Anime Revolution does continue to improve in incremental ways each year, but unfortunately this year proved in a big way that this con is riddled with internal problems that negatively impact potentially the safety of their attendees and, and do raise serious questions about the event's optics and priorities. Primarily, it was in their handling of the two individuals who have been, been getting a lot of specific attention here. Now, there have been a lot of rumors and unverified facts floating around social media, both about this and about other things related to the convention. My recommendation is to focus less on the things that have been spreading on social media and more on what has been posted by reputable sources like Anime News Network. Lindsay Loveridge's report about Anime Revolution and uh, those individuals is fantastic, and it does a great job of just cutting straight to the most important and verifiable details. This report also includes statements from Anime Revolution CEO Can No. There have been some disputes about the accuracy of what he says in these statements, which were apparently provided to Anime News Network the day after the event. Regardless... I personally feel that the statements Can provided, as well as the official comments posted on Anime Revolution's Facebook page, are more than enough for people to make an assessment of the con's handling of this situation. My assessment was that this was handled very badly. I can say that one of the individuals mentioned in this article is very well known locally, and nearly every local fandom event and organization has firmly banned him, despite the fact that there are often potential legal consequences in trying to do so. There is absolutely no way that Anime Revolution could have been unprepared for the challenges that would come with enforcing a ban. Honestly, there's no excuse for them to have wavered on a ban or to have flown by the seat of their pants on how they dealt with the issue, and yet they did. This is a serious mistake that can be traced right to many core problems that exist within Anime Revo's central operations. Unless some kind of dramatic, demonstrable change... Uh, is made to the con's operations, and frankly, I don't even know what that would look like. I will not be attending Anime Revolution in 2020. Beyond that, well, we'll see what the future holds. I can't say for sure. Uh, but something definitely has to change here. Uh, that said, I'd also like to point out that Anime Revolution is severely lacking in LGBTQ plus and feminism panels as those topics relate to anime and manga. Obviously, I'm going to leave a gap behind by not doing any panels next year. That's what I feel they should fill it with. So, beyond that, I'll leave it to you to make your own assessment on the whole situation with Anime Revolution. Thank you for listening to Zon in Canada. I'd like to again thank Gregory Taylor for joining me on this episode. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultraclystron and you can find it on his album Packet Flood at ultraclystron.com. If you know anyone who might be interested in this podcast, please recommend it to them. See you again.